Good morning. It is good to be with you. It's fun to have snow down here. You might not think so, but, you know, at my house there's still lots of snow, so it, it felt very welcoming to me this morning to have to wake up and have lots of snow. Very fun. And I guess I can't, yeah, you want me to take it back with me, don't you? You, uh, I guess I can't say anything about John this morning either since he's guilted me into being nice. <laughs> I want to start this morning by, uh, in a sense, stealing an illustration from a, another pastor. And uh, so I, I, want, I want to start with, with taking you on a little journey uh, to Atlanta, Georgia uh, in 1886. No, I wasn't alive. And uh, in 1886, and a, a, a local pharmacist created uh, this little drink that he thought would cure disease and maybe cure some ailments that people were struggling with, maybe some disorders, and he was very excited about this. And, and one day in 1886, he took, took it to a, a local drugstore and was selling it by the glass for five cents a glass. And uh, as, as history goes, uh, he, on average, that year in 1886, sold nine glasses a year, uh, and at the end of the year, uh, had made or had received about 50 bucks, which was unfortunate in the sense that it cost him 70 to make those glasses of this beverage that he was selling. Fast forward to today and pick almost any day in 2022, and this same beverage, uh, the numbers are, <clears throat> excuse me, the numbers are a little different, <laughs> as you can imagine. Uh, instead of nine glasses a day, it averages two billion glasses a day in sales in over 200 countries. Total profits. <clears throat> would be somewhere around 35 billion. More than 75%, by the way, of the world, of the countries in this world, they're uh, GMP. G, deep, gross, domestic, pro GDP, whatever that, you know what I'm trying to say. In other words, this one beverage, this company is now bringing in more than most of the countries in this world do. You, of course, have already figured out, I'm sure, what this uh, beverage is, correct, it is what? Coke, yes. This red and white little signal and brand that is recognized around the world and can be found not only in the fancy places around the world, but even can be found in many of the poorest places around the world. I've heard a separate story, and part of the reason I take you on this little journey, not to make you thirsty this morning, uh, instead is to tell a story of another man, of a young man who graduated from college and took, decided with his friend that they were going to kind of travel the world before life got really serious. And uh, they were going to take a few months and travel the world and see the world, and, but they didn't want to just visit the popular places, the places you might go on vacation or the places you might just regularly want to go see, they said instead, you know, let, let's go to places where we're not going to take family vacations someday, some places where we're not going to take our bride. 
Let's, let's go see that part of the world. And so they did. They spent several months, and it was in one of those, it was on that trip in one of those uh, countries that the local missionaries, while they were there, asked them to take part in this work that they were doing, in doing this scouting and surveying trip for the day, uh, kind of off into the bush, if I can put it that way. And while they were there, while they were there after they'd kind of gotten the work done, they were in a local family's home, and the local family, through the translator, was asking these people, the missionaries, and these two young men as well, a series of questions. And these questions were like this. How did we get here? How, how, did the rain, how does the rain come and water the plants that grow? No one has ever come and told us these things. And the last question that they asked was, well, what does happen after we die? And the missionary and these young men had a chance to talk about these things. And what struck this young man and changed the course of his life to eventually, by the way, becoming a missionary himself and taking his young bride and one-month-old daughter to Uzbekistan as a missionary family for years and then to Afghanistan for a decade. What, what, what made that change is that same poor family in remote area, after this conversation brought out to these guys to drink, a Coke. And it struck, it struck this young man suddenly, who did know the Lord, that this company had done a better job of promoting their brand and this brown carbonated sugar water, if I can call it that, than the church had at reaching every tongue, tribe, and nation. And the Lord used that instance to say, you need to declare, I am calling you to go to the world, to go to the nations, to go to your coworkers, to go to your family, and declare the great truths of who I am, of what we have already been singing about, of which you have already been reading or responding to this morning in Psalm 136. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, or some device that shows the text, turn to Psalm 136 this morning. And I want us to be reminded of the most, some of the most precious phrases and certainly promise in all of the Bible appears in this psalm. And as you have been doing already this morning, as we think about this psalm, we picture a great multitude of people gathered in the temple courts and a priest or a Levite standing out and calling a reason to give thanks. And his people responding with, for. Or the Bible you're looking at may put mercy in there or some other interesting words. By the way, that may sound long and wordy to you, for his steadfast love endures forever. Actually, in the, Hebrews, in the Hebrew, it would have only been six syllables and uh, not 11, I think, as it is, as what we were just saying. And uh, so I, I actually, uh, one, at one point, used this same psalm with children, and I changed it uh, for their sake to six syllables so that they could repeat it easier, and it just flowed off the tongue better, for his love has no end. For his love has no end. 
I want to do three things with you this morning. I want us to look at this psalm, and I want us to be reminded, first off, of who this great God is, whose love has no end. And hopefully our eyes would be lifted, our hearts would be encouraged, and we would desire to know him more, to proclaim his truths more. And secondly, secondly, I want to look and see as this psalm takes us, I want to look and think about briefly some of the things that God has done in the past of his great wonders. And I want to be reminded of that because it's helpful to me and I think it would be helpful to you to think about what God has faithfully by his love done in the past. And then lastly, I want to look at what God is still doing and promises to still do that are all in this psalm. So that our desire would be to walk out of here this morning with that refrain, with that antiphonal chant ringing off of our lips. For his love has no end. Because it's a great truth. So we have already read uh, several of the verses here in Psalm 136. But let me again, for the sake of just putting it back into our head, back into our minds... Uh, Start back at the beginning, and I'm not going to read all 26 verses to you, but instead I just want to start with these first three verses as we think about who God is. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his steadfast love endures forever. And as you've already been told this morning, that refrain shows up 26 times in this psalm. For his steadfast love endures forever. One, one, uh, in fact, it was R.C. Sproul who I like, who gave this definition of steadfast love from the Hebrew word hesed, of loyal love. Steadfast love, loyal love, a love that is loyal, that sticks to you in good and bad, in rough days and in good days. And you don't have to wonder if they're going to be there or not. Today is Selection Sunday for those of you who are college basketball fans. Any of you in the room? Just me. Okay. I'll move fast through this illustration then. (laughs) Selection Sunday is an easy day to be a bandwagon fan if you want to be. Pick a team that's expected to do really well and choose them on your bracket and follow them through and try to ride that one all the way through. But that's not what a loyal love does. A loyal love says I'm going to pick this team even though they're not expected to go very far because it's my team and I'm going to keep cheering for them and rooting for them no matter how well they do. Because that's my team. Well, God says to us, who are his people in Psalm 136, you are my people. You are my team. You are my children that I have adopted and cared for you. And my love is not leaving you. My love is staying with you. Even on those days when you can't feel it or see it, my love is still there for you. And on those days where you do feel Instead of a few inches of snow, you feel the ray of sunshine and the warmer weather coming and 
the day is easy and the stresses of the day and the bad news don't seem to be as strong. And maybe you feel a little more of God's love present. It is not any more present than it was on the other days, but it's wonderfully still there. And the promise is not just for today or tomorrow or for next month. Amen. It is. It is forever. Has no end. But who is this God who has this loyal love, this hesed, this steadfast love? And the psalmist writes in the very beginning and encourages us, in fact, it's not ancient encouragement, it's a proclamation, it's a command, it's an imperative, to give thanks, to give thanks. But I appreciate, by the way, the fact that this command quickly follows reasons why. Don't just give thanks. You, if you're a parent, at some point in your life, if you're a, and when you were a child, you may have heard statement like this, because I told you so, that's why. Yes, anybody have heard that? Oh, you guys can raise your hands. Oh, very good. Glad to see that. <laughs> I know this is a Baptist church, so I got to be careful there. Just kidding. <laughs> I have found myself saying that to my kids at times. Well, just because I told you so, that's why I want you to obey. That's why I want you to do this. God doesn't do that in the scriptures. He doesn't say, because I told you so. Though he certainly could, he doesn't. He says, give thanks. Why? What does verse 1 say? Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. <laughs> the fact that God is good is fundamental to all that he is and does. It's a wonderful reason for us to give thanks because God is good. Do you know he has never had a bad thought about anyone? He's always cordial. God never has a bad day. He always forgives me in spite of my consistent sin. And when I come back, he's always welcoming to me. Open arms. Loving and forgiving. He never gives me the silent treatment. He is good beyond all others. He alone is good in the highest sense. For he is the source of good. He's the good of all good, if I can put it that way. The sustainer of good. The perfecter of good. The rewarder of good. This is our God. And I don't want to skip over that. Give thanks to the Lord. This is the one who, as we'll see as we move through this chapter, who is the creator, who is the actual sustainer of life, the provider of his people, the protector of his people, the one who has made them and carries them and has sustained them. This is the Lord here, Yahweh who we are describing and talking about. And what is the first thing that we see here that it says about him? He is good. In fact, he cannot do anything that is not good. And the greatest demonstration, as you know, and at least I hope you know, of the always enduring love or mercy of God is seen in the person and work of Christ. 
which we have already sung about, it's already been declared to us this morning, of the one who, as, the, as it does later say, rescued us from our lowly estate, our separation from God, our not knowing him, and our lack of opportunity to be with him, our incapacity to know him. This is this God who is good. There's another song that we sometimes sing, and I don't know what truth can call, that has the line, what truth can calm the troubled soul. God is good. God is good. It's what you and I need to hear regularly. It's what you and I, I think, need to be reminded of regularly. That God is good. Because if you're like me, and you probably are in many ways, even though you're not obviously college basketball fans, you're still like me in the fact that you and I, we make plans. We have hopes and dreams. And many times, if we're honest, those plans and those hopes and dreams don't have anything to do with God. It's, what, it's just what we want. I want the day to go well. I want the snow to disappear. <laughs> I want so-and-so to not be sick anymore. I want the Spartans or somebody to win. And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad. But when we take those steps, when we make those plans, ignoring what God is saying to us and ignoring the path that God has put before us, we are ignoring the fact that God is good and somehow saying, saying in that moment that what I think is better than what the completely good God has planned for you and I. Wow. You and I would never probably say that out loud. But I think by our actions, sometimes that's what we say. That, yes, I know you're good. I'm, I'm glad that you remind me that in the scriptures. You've demonstrated that as, as we're going to see in the psalm. But I'm going to do what I want to do right now because I think that's better. Wow. <laughs> and the one who cares for us is good. And just because of war and all kinds of atrocities and difficulties in Ukraine doesn't change the fact that God is good. Disobedient or wandering children don't change the fact that God is good. Illness and difficulty unknowns about the future or jobs or income, difficulties in relationships, none of that changes the fact that God is good or that his steadfast love has somehow wavered. It does not change that. In fact, the truth of giving thanks to the Lord for he is good is an encouragement for us to see clearly correctly all the time. Did you know gratitude is one of those things that can help you improve your sleep quality? There are studies that show this kind of stuff. That if you are, if you are more, have more gratitude, if you tend to give thanks regularly to people and certainly to God, 
It helps your sleep quality. It helps your emotional regulation. In other words, you tend not to fly off at either end of extremes as much. It can increase feelings of happiness and positive mood. It helps foster hope for the future. It reduces stress, burnout, and symptoms of PTSD. It increases resilience. All of those things come with just learning to be a person who gives thanks and recognizes other people and God's work. And how do we do that? We do that by not thinking that we are good or that we have all the answers. We do that by recognizing that God is good. And so my desire is to be in the scriptures every morning. My desire is to be in church on Sundays. My desire is to be with God's people. My desire is to sing praises and songs to him. My desire is to be strengthened by the truths, the strength, the goodness of God that I see in his word because I know he is good. Have I lingered long enough on this first point? God is good. It's on my way out the door the other day, I told my son, we have still have, Stacy and I have seven children, only one is still at home. He's a sophomore in high school. And uh, Samuel's headed out the door, and I said to him, I said to him, be good. Seems like a common thing to say to your child. Why do I have to say that to Samuel? And as much as I love Samuel, and to be honest, he is a good young man, but he's ultimately not good. That's why I have to say it to Samuel, to be good. Because ultimately we are not. The truth is God is good in all that he does and says, in all of his actions, in all of his great wonders. He is good. In creating you and I, he is but these verses continues, you're really starting to get concerned because it's only verse 1 so far, that he is good. We're going to move quickly. Who is this God that we are to give thanks to? This Yahweh, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. He's quickly compared, by the way, in verses 2 and 3 to any other person or thing that you might try to worship for this God, this Lord, capital L-O-R-D, that you have in verse 1, is in verse 2 also referred to as the God of gods. In other words, any other God that you might try to put in his place. Think commandments number one. He is over them. He is the God of any God that you may try to create or make or find. And in verse 3, he's not only God of gods, but he is the Lord of lords. Any ruler, king, magistrate, authority, he is over and has put them in their place. He has put them there. What did Jesus say? You only re and, uh, in the midst of his trial, what, what did he say Back. The only reason you have this authority is because my Father in heaven has given it to you. And that is true. This is our great God who is sovereign over all. His rule is over all. And that's part of why he can say his love endures forever. Because there's nobody that can take it from him. 
There's nothing that can hinder it coming. Nothing can stop it. Not somebody else, not some army, not a bad day, not bad weather. Nothing can stop his steadfast love that endures forever. So we give thanks. Why would I listen or obey anyone who does not follow God? They're not completely good, nor are they ultimately in charge. No, only God is. And quickly, what has he done? Verses 4 really through 22, the bulk of the psalm looks at, for again, the original audience of here, uh, of this psalm, the Israelite people needing to be faithfully reminded of what God has done for them. So in verses 4 through 9, we see creation, and, and those verses have been read to us. Who alone does great wonders, who by his understanding made the heavens, spread out the earth above the waters, made the great lights, sun to rule the day, moon and stars to rule the night. This is our God. He is the creator. He's not just some Johnny come lately. Ooh, does using that phrase date me? That, that way too old of a phrase? He didn't just come along the scene later. No, no, no. In the beginning, God created. This is who we are talking about. Who's, who's steadfast love for you? Christian endures forever. He's the one who created and then we continue to look at 10 through 22, and we see what God has specifically done for his people. Right? He struck down the firstborn of Egypt, brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. We were singing it just a minute ago. Divided the Red Sea, made Israel pass through, overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea, led his people through the wilderness, struck down great kings, Killed mighty kings. Remember the, as they're going into the, into the promised land, the first time they went up to the border and the spies go in and they come back? No, no, no. There are great people there. There are giants there. There are mighty kings there. They were scared. But God still did it. He brought them in. Killed mighty kings, Sihon, king of the Amorites, Og, king of Bashan. And he gave their land as heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servant. Why did he do that? For his steadfast love endures forever. That's why he did that. And you and I have a history as well. You're sitting here this morning for some reason because God has revealed himself and his great love for you. You have a desire to be here this morning and to be with God's people and to worship and to, be, and to hear from the scriptures, to be reminded of truth. Why? Because at some point in the past, God has done something for you. You may not know all of that, and you don't know all that what God has done for you, but he has done something for you. He has made you aware of him in some way. He's revealed himself to you. It could have happened when you were a very young child. It could have happened yesterday. But he has revealed himself to you. And so now you have a desire to hear more about him. And here you are. And for some of you, it's much more than that. For some of you, not only has he revealed himself to you and you have a desire to know him. He has revealed himself to you as Lord and Savior. And he has rescued and redeemed you, not out of Egypt, but out of darkness. Out of an eternity away from him. Rescued you from your own sin giving you a hope for the future, a hope 
even in spite of what we see of war and disease and famine and hardship, a hope that through all of that, God's love endures and that he's good and cares for you and I. As far back as creation, his eye has traveled, and all through the stormy, troubled days, the one who understands and reads the scriptures and his truth, he can detect the silver thread of God's steadfast love. Oh, that we would have eyes to always see the love of God. And then lastly, as we get to verses 23, as we close this great psalm, you can see I'm skipping a lot of pages, of what God is doing and will do. Verse 23, we've referred to it already. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. See, this is not what God has done just for his Israelite people back in Bible times. This is what he does still today by God's grace for you and I. He remembers us in our low estate, in our alienation from the promises of God, in our separation from who God is. That's our lowly estate. He rescued us from our foes. For his steadfast love endures forever. We were reminded this morning, and we've already been reminded, and I want to remind you again this morning of how all that took place. That the greatest, as I said a minute ago, the greatest demonstration of God's loyal love, of his steadfast love, is of him coming himself as Christ came to take up his own lowly estate to be born in a manger, in a small town, in the middle of, just outside of nowhere. <laughs> to Joseph and Mary, young, unaccomplished, inconsequential people. To grow up as a carpenter. Uh, nothing wrong with carpenters, I don't mean it to say that. But certainly not in the royal court. And then even as his ministry takes off, a man who, according to the scriptures, probably wasn't that good looking and had nowhere to lay his head. He didn't even have a home. He was homeless. This is our great God who came. And the one who suffered all kinds of difficulty and abuse, and I'm not talking about just the cross, Remember, remember, this is one who had to flee from a tyrant and had to grow up for a few years in a strange country and had to move a few times. This is the one who had all kinds of difficult things happen to him. Why? 
so that you and I, by God's grace, could know the steadfast love and that it never ends, that you and I could know this great God. And not only does he, has he rescued, that means paid the price for your salvation, not only has he done that, he continues to care for us. Verse 25, he gives us, he gives food. How, does, how did the missionary answer those people who asked that question? How does the rain come? God is good. That's how. He gives food to all flesh. So the verse, the psalm ends in verse 26 like it begins with that bookend, encouraging us to this morning and tonight, no matter how your team does in Selection Sunday, in a bracket, no matter what the weather does, no matter what the news says, we are encouraged this morning for his glory and our good to give thanks to the God of heaven. Why? For his steadfast, his loyal love endures forever. And that's not just a personal thing for us to do. Again, this, you picture the scene. This is a worship type of service where this is transpiring. This is, again, the priest or Levite standing up and saying these things. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. And the people responded for his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods for his steadfast love endures forever. He is the Lord of lords for his steadfast love endures forever. For he alone does great things for his steadfast love. This is meant to be a community experience as well. It's not just a personal thing. Yes, you and I need to for God's glory and my good. You know what's best for me to do today? To give thanks. And by the way, that's not a contradiction on a bad day. The best thing to do on a bad day is to give thanks. And you can give thanks while being frustrated or upset. And it often changes the perspective. For again, as I just said, he alone does great things. Why should I look to anybody else? He alone has helped us in our lowliest state. Why should I trust in anybody else? So personally, I need to learn to give thanks better. I need to recognize God's hand in my life more frequently. And I do that by being in the scriptures more often, primarily. And even when things are hard and difficult, I need to learn to give thanks through that. So I say this in a community aspect because part of our job as what God has called us to is to give thanks out loud to the people around us. They need to see me being one who give thanks, give thanks to God even on difficult days. When they see me, when the world around me, when my neighbors, when my friends, when my family sees the difficult days that we're experiencing that, that are there. What do they need most from me? What honors God most in that situation? It's the picture of Job. 
right? It's the picture of Job saying, the Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's the picture. And as we are faithfully doing that, we can beat Coca-Cola at their, their game of spreading the news of our great God. God. 